1: And unless you try to climb these mountains, you're you're not going to grow. It doesn't happen magically. You don't wake up suddenly and say, "I'm a great serious actor." You learn how to do this by doing the shit.
0: Testing one. 2, 3, how do I sound? Hello, listeners. Welcome to In the Envelope. Uh, this is Jack reporting from my couch, where it's pretty much my podcast recording studio and my workstation and my downtime. Uh, a lot of us are, um, yeah, indoors, spending a lot of time trying to adjust to a new normal. Something that our guest on today's episode, Nathan Lane, and I discussed quite a bit. Obviously you know Nathan Lane if you've seen The Producers, if you've seen The Birdcage, if you've even seen his recent appearances on uh, Modern Family. Those of us who've been frequenting the theater for years have known Nathan for years. He's been in every Broadway show ever. If I had to play favorites, which I'm, you know, gun to my head, I would say Nathan Lane is possibly my favorite stage actor. And uh, this interview does a good job of uh, exposing a little bit of his process. His approach, his philosophy. At one point, he calls acting for the stage going into battle. <laughs> he also has some fascinating responses to what is one performance every actor should see and why. Just so you guys know, for the most of the future episodes coming down the pike, we do ask a series of backstagey questions. You will have read many of those on backstage.com. Nathan had some great answers to those. Um, another thing that we discussed, though, was as I mentioned, life in quarantine, life in our kind of adjusting to this new normal, and life in the age of the coronavirus. We did bring up uh, Nathan's longtime friend and collaborator, Terrence McNally, who is a staple of the Broadway community for a long time, really a groundbreaking playwright who launched the careers of many artists, including Nathan. Um, and he passed away from complications due to COVID 19 very recently. And um, we at Backstage mourn his loss, and we the theater community mourn his loss, those of us who are his fans, and all of the artists like him and all of the entertainers who have been affected by this deadly disease. And i just like to take this moment to say thank you to our medical staff and essential workers, um, everyone from doctors and nurses and medical staff to our grocery store employees and delivery people who are keeping the world going and uh, trying to get us back to normal. These are very strange and unusual times. And uh, I think this interview with Nathan Lane addresses that. And uh, many of our interviews for the foreseeable future, which have certainly all been recorded remotely and uh, within this new normal. So until things start to change and Hollywood and Broadway and all of entertainment gets back up and running, we will be asking questions about how artists and aspiring actors and aspiring artists of all levels, how can they stay active and engaged? How, how should they be coping with these strange and unusual times? Even if the answer is, I don't know, here's what I'm doing. But we do uh, we are asking those questions in a lot of the upcoming interviews, so I hope that these will be somewhat of a guide, <laughs> a map, perhaps, through a truly unprecedented time in the entertainment world and in the world world. So without further ado, let's get to this fabulous conversation with Nathan after a quick break. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, or someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet, and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In the Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices upload. Every single day on the world's number one casting platform. Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast thirty days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout. That's Backstage.com/slash/subscribe and enter the code Envelope. If you wanna be in contention for an Emmy or for an Oscar or for a Tony or for a SAG award, do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use Backstage. We are here for you. Again, free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe. Enter the code envelope. Nathan Lane is adored by audiences around the world, and especially in the New York theater scene, where he's totaled over 20 Broadway credits, including the recent Angels in America and Gary. Earning a SAG Award, six Primetime Emmy nods, and every theater award in the book, including three Tonys, Nathan has brought his brilliant comedic timing to The Birdcage, The Producers, Modern Family, and more, but has recently demonstrated his dramatic chops, including in Showtime's new series from John Logan, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. Here it is, Backstage's chat with Nathan Lane. Um, first of all, could I ask you to lavish praise on Backstage and your fond memories of using Backstage? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, uh, certainly when I was starting out way, way back when, when I I moved to New York in the late 70s, yes, it was, uh, everyone would buy backstage and and I don't know if you remember show business.
0: Uh
1: I remember backstage was sort of blue, had a blue heading and (laughs) show business was red. (laughs) <laughs> no political affiliations, just, gotcha. um, yes. And so certainly, um, uh, uh yes, we, I, I, read backstage and, uh, and was interested in, in, um, seeing what was going on and then also just articles. And, and, uh, so mm-hmm. it was a very, very helpful guide in the early days of, uh, of my career. And, um, uh, and, uh, yes. Uh, and, and I had a, a great time talking to you. Yes. Years.
0: I know it was in the middle of Angels in America. Um, you sensed, which was amazing, and then you sensed it, Gary, which was just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things I've seen. It was amazing.
1: You were the one. Well, yeah, <laughs> I loved doing Gary. I mean, it was a, it was a, a strange and difficult journey. Uh, but that play, I mean, I was very proud that we brought Taylor Mac to Broadway because I think yes. he's a unique and extremely gifted writer and talented. And um, it was really Scott Rudin who uh, pushed to do it on Broadway. Uh, and when I had read it, I had initially said, perhaps we should do this somewhere quietly yes. and <laughs> and figure this out. And, and he said, no, no, we're going to do this in the middle of Times Square. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and that's the way we should do it. And uh, you know, it's so you're you're in the fishbowl, and it's it's difficult because uh, you aren't allowed to fail or make mistakes oh. that way. Yeah. When you're because people come now and they're, they're at the first preview and they they judge and they write things online, and so you have to just keep your head down and focus on the work and the play. Is is a difficult piece uh, oh, to yeah. pull, off. and and so when you're but when you're under that kind of pressure and nerves, it, it, it was twice as difficult. But those ladies are extraordinary actresses, and uh, look, it, it was. I would never want to go through it again, <laughs> but it was uh, an extraordinary experience. And by the end, by the time we got to the towards the end of the run. Where we we were confident enough with the material and knew what we were doing and had then played it to different kinds of audiences, and because it was a very divisive play, mm-hmm. some people loved it, some people hated it, and and wanted us all to die. <laughs> and uh, but by the end of it, we were um, playing it with the kind of confidence and and, mm-hmm. and understanding that the play needed. And it's a very, uh, as, as, you know, as I often said, it's a, the play had a very European sensibility. So in the yes. notion of the very, uh, the lowbrow, broad physical comedy, um, I've never seen so many people, uh, you know, upset about, um, <laughs> fart jokes yeah. and, you know, and dead body routines that, you know, anyway, <laughs> it, 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 uh, who knew American Americans were so sensitive to that? Right. But, um, they they have a hard time. De- I do know that American audiences have a hard time dealing with that mixture of the intellectual. And that kind Mm. of lowbrow comedy, I sort of went through that a bit on the Frogs*, which is, you know, essentially that's the whole Aristophanes mantra. You know, there's lowbrow comedy and then it gets very intellectual and there's a debate between Aeschylus and Euripides. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's a big ask. For yeah, an all. yeah, it's the ask, and right. and uh, you know, in if you did that play in London, did Gary in London, they would have no problem with what Definitely. the style and tone of it. And look, I I, I understand that a play that ends with uh, a chorus line of dead gladiators <laughs> with dancing huge dancing penises, mechanized <laughs> <neck> <laughs> penises is is um is is unusual. Uh, uh, I. Yes. I I love that we did it in the middle of, you know, Broadway or the middle yeah. of you know, what, what's become the mall of America and, and, and upset people to that degree. Now, Absolutely. A Hollywood reporter critic said <laughs> it was the most batshit crazy thing on Broadway in many a moon. And I said to Scott Rudin, you should, in the ads, that should be oh, use that. at the top. Oh, yeah. Um, that's great praise Yeah, Look, it just um, for all of the people saying things like when Broadway is so tired and it's the same formula and it's mo- uh-huh. musicals based on movies or mm. you know stars coming in for 18 weeks to do you know a, a classic play and the same yeah. thing. where is the you know where are the new voices where shake things up and then you you bring in <laughs> an exciting new voice or Mac a, a, you know a, a queer voice and nice. people were like you know it, it was it turned into a restoration you know <laughs> dropping their fans and saying you know heavens to Betsy yes. what 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 fresh hell is this and you want to go well, f- you <laughs> that's why Broadway is dying you know in this country. <laughs> People are so f***ed up about sexuality and jobs. Sex. <laughs> it's you know true. What? Just get over it. Yeah. You know, the, the look, I was, uh, in that play, I was sort of up on top of the, all the dead b- bodies. Um, for people who haven't seen the, pl- <laughs> didn't see the play, that will sound strange, but I was right. standing on, on a huge mound of hundreds of dead bodies, and when I would look out and see the reaction, Oh, uh, yeah. as as the penises danced in rhythm, <laughs> Uh, uh, that was something to see people, you know, some yeah. people was roaring with laughter and, and, and in total shock that it was, that we were actually doing it. And then just people who, you know, who you could see were incensed and <laughs> oh, wish they had stayed home and, and what, yeah. right. Wrestler. So <laughs> right. there you are, but that what makes horse races as they say.
0: Yes. As, well, I mean, how often are you, are you conscious of, um, how how it's being received you're not going to calibrate your performance and future performances based on how things are being received necessarily no but right? you
1: know i like to know I, I mean i don't like to sit down and read you know word for word what people have said but i like gotcha. to have a general idea of, <laughs> of what i'm up against mm-hmm. um you know so you know um, if you know because certainly in in the past i've done pieces plays that uh, or musicals where um if the reaction has not been positive, you feel it in the house. Literally mm-hmm. uh, years ago, I did a play by Neil Simon called laughter on the 23rd floor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in previews, people were laughing their heads off mm-hmm. and, and then Frank Rich wrote a review. Uh, he, uh, he had the last it was the towards the end of his tenure and the last two plays he reviewed were perestroika the second half oh, of ancient america and and laughter on the 23rd floor oh wow um, so um, he really dismissed laughter on the 23rd floor oh, boy. it was not not very kind to it and you felt it that literally the next night people had been told oh. you you probably shouldn't enjoy this and then they didn't. Hmm. And it took a while for that to be forgotten and to to uh, regain that uh, <laughs> trust with the audience. That's so
0: interesting. Yeah. That- pe-
1: people giving themselves over to what it is they were actually seeing as, to pose, as opposed to what they were told to feel wow. about this event. So... Um, it, yes, I, I, you know, look. Uh, another example they just wrote about it in the Times was uh, the Adams family were, you um, know, mm. which was reviled, oh god, uh, by people, just reviled by yes. the Yes, and nevertheless, the audience uh, wa- wanted to see. Yeah, they, they love that the title, the brand name, those characters, and they, uh, you know, they like the idea of myself and B.B. Newworth playing those. Absolutely. Characters. And they and so they showed up. They didn't seem to care what people had said about them. Mm. And then, um, and apparently, I don't know, um, you know, what happened. To, you know, they keep talking about some, you know, miracle cure they did on the road where they rewrote it and suddenly it magically oh. w- was better. Uh, I have I have grave doubt that that's the case. I think just <laughs> as it happened in New York, people liked those characters and wanted to see yes. them again. So I think it, whether they had done any work or not people still would have shown up and high schools would have wanted to you know, do The Adams Family it's that popular a title Definitely So um, uh, look you you know when you when you go through that you you know you have to it's helpful to have that to, to take that into consideration when you go out <laughs> to do battle every sure. night
0: to do battle Wait, doing battle with the audience or doing battle yeah. with... Uh... Battle.
1: Okay. It's like going into battle. You gear up and you go, you go into battle. you got to try to convince, you know, 1,200 people <laughs> uh, of a story. Yeah. And, and tell them this story. And sometimes it is a battle. Sometimes, you right. know, sometimes half of them don't even want to be there. Uh, well, Their sure. Their wives dragged them. They were. <laughs> someone told them it was good. They wanted to get out of the house. Remember that? wanting to get out of the house um so um, yeah you you know it's it it does it is like going going in the back
0: violent yeah it's combative
1: cool yeah that's right um (laughs) it's a life and death situation every (laughs) eight times
0: yeah no that's spot on because really on this podcast we're just trying to distill actors philosophy down to their kind of most essential selves and you've just hit the nail on the head you you walk out onto
1: stage and you go into battle very often very o- yeah it depends very often yeah. I mean um, you know it really you know obviously it depends on the piece and, yes. and what kind of theater you're in and how intimate it is and what and the story that you're telling but yeah very often it's in in particular with musicals <laughs> oh <laughs> it, interesting it, it feels like you're going into battle.
0: The audience, I, is it safe to say the audience has a bigger role is more of a scene partner in a musical no, in, than in a play? In
1: anything. The audience has a huge role. That's uh-huh. why we're talking now about, you know, guys don't want to play sports without an audience. I mean, what's the point? I mean, oh. late night talk shows, the comedy shows, you know, they're doing this without an audience and it's it's, yeah. it's very difficult to, to do. You have, You sort of, even their demeanor changes a bit because they're not getting that kind of feedback. And the audience is is just is another character. If yeah. you're t- if you're telling a story, you even even in a drama where there you know if you you hear that kind of silence when it's that quiet and you mm-hmm. know how intently they're listening and feeling cool. whatever is, is is happening on stage. That is. That's a tell. That's how you know things are going well when it's that quiet. If you you know, it's about trying to keep twelve hundred people from coughing. And <laughs> yeah. that, but if you can, you you've really accomplished something. Sure. There's there's a this other sonar that you have in the back of your head that even though as 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 concentrated as you're trying to be and dealing with your characters' needs and wants and telling that story, yes. you're still hearing. what's the what's the energy in the room and how is this how is this translating it's always there i mean and you know uh, if you're in a big emotional moment perhaps you know you're not thinking about that but Uh you know you are especially in comedy there is that part of the equation or how important the audience is and and uh, god knows we're seeing that now it's like well we, you know will people gather together in a group again right yeah. away to see a play and and uh, sadly I don't think so I don't blame them you know right. I think it's going to take quite a while and uh, really until there's a vaccine yes but certainly you know we have people are going to be very wary uh, about about gathering again for not only theater but you know ballet concerts
0: anything yeah. any
1: movies they Sports. opened in china they opened 500 movie theaters and nobody went they oh, had wow. them back down so so we're we're on a long journey back to- it
0: is a it's a journey yeah and i, I did want to ask like yes like what do you think the state of the theater community is now and like if and when i assume it's when you know when we are able to go to the theater again as you say maybe a long time from now like what do you think is going to what do you think is going to change about that? Or what, what's going to be, I assume we're all just going to just love the theater so much more than we already did.
1: I, you know, look, everything's going to change. It's not going to be the same. There's mm-hmm. going to be a new normal and that we're going to have to figure out together. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think, look, it, it, being a producer these days, it must be terrifying because yeah. you don't, because of the unknown. That's the we're in this strange '70s TV movie about a dystopian future, yeah. and we have to, um, and we don't know what the ending is. So we're going to have to make judgments along the way about what people will do at first, and and not jump back in too soon. Um, and uh, I mean, certainly, I think people are will be hungry for entertainment again, mm-hmm. but. You know, they're being trained now in a way not to go to movie theaters. They can watch things yeah. at home. And if they right. have, you know, if they can afford the a kind of home entertainment system that has, a, you have a huge uh, screen, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it can be very comfortable and you can get used to that. I mean, I love going to the movies. I love sitting in a in a mm-hmm. big movie theater and watching something on a, on a giant screen. I mean, that's yeah. the, the way movies used to be made for that. Expe- <laughs> right. that experience so i don't i you know that's the thing we don't know and that's what's so frustrating and frightening yeah. i think you know maybe people are going to have to rethink you know uh, ticket prices uh, yeah. People are going to have to rethink how are we going to do this maybe we don't spend as much money on things
0: mm-hmm. maybe
1: th- we can do things more simply you know people are finding yeah. Uh, you know, someone does a reading of a play online, and people love it. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's about it's it's about you're hearing things in a different way because you don't have any distractions. It's just people True. speaking the words, and if they're good words, it mm. it's, can be incredibly meaningful. And yeah. you don't, you don't need all the bells and whistles. I, I think, sure. you know, we we are headed for a big change. And, and, you know, some of it is will I think could be positive.
0: Yeah. Like you're saying, we just it's just that we don't know. I mean, that's the biggest
1: Yeah. No, factor that, here. that's what's it's I mean, it's surreal. It's a surreal and scary Definitely. Thing. And um you know, it's forcing people to you know, you have to take a look at yourself. Absolutely. You know, you know, it's it's a strange thing, you know, this whole the, the running joke now is nobody knows what day it is. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, because, time is so strange yeah, right pandemic now. Pandemic <laughs> time. It's like you get up, you have some coffee, you think I'm going to vacuum, and then the next thing you know, it's 5 p.m.
0: Yeah, and and just in terms of um, keeping yourself inspired, like you're saying, like we've, we if you've No, Jack,
1: home... I'm never going to get anyone to watch this <laughs> show if we just keep talking about it.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's all it's all doom and gloom, but like you're
1: saying, like oh, here's the good news. There's there a new show news. coming. <laughs> we have a captive audience.
0: <laughs> captive audience. Uh, the show d- deals with quite a bit of death and destruction and uh, supernatural, which is kind of fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> the escapist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, John. I'm Bo- actually
0: finding that uh, period pieces are, are nice escapism because it's like, oh well, that's in the past.
1: Right although nice. i th- i think it will resonate for today oh, yeah. but it's uh, yeah the the brilliant john logan created this. Mm-hmm. he obviously he did the first iteration of penny dreadful and then uh, has written this kind of in a response to what's been going on in the country natalie dormer a brilliant actress who yes. played many different parts and Kind of whispers in people's ears and brings out the worst, darkest instincts. Yes,
0: People. she's good at whispering. Yes,
1: uh, so that's that you know, that's kind of what uh, hangs over the whole story, but it you know, uh, it's it's kind of uh, as I said before, um, uh, uh Raymond Chandler meets Rod Serling in the center of it is this uh, wow. very film noir. Chinatown type murder mystery uh, of this Beverly Hills family that has been killed and left in the L.A. River. And uh, my character is uh, uh, a very longtime detective on the L.A.P.D., uh, Jewish. And um, he's been paired with uh, a young Chicano, uh, first time Mexican uh, Mm -hmm. on the force as a detective. And, um, he becomes a mentor to him, a father figure, mm. and, uh, they have to try to solve this case. Um, I mean, that's just one of many storylines yeah. interweaving storylines and in in, in, in this incredible tapestry. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, John is an extraordinary writer and, yeah, it's a, in this show is challenging. It's challenging material and it's, um, it's, yeah. as it goes on. It gets, I, I think the show just gets better and better and better and better and better. And it's a, it's a great group of actors, uh, I have to say. Yeah. Well, it was a real pleasure working with everyone. Um, just really, really strong. So, um
0: I, and how How did you get involved? Are you, um, do you still audition? When was the last time you auditioned?
1: Well, Jack. <laughs> Jack,
0: <laughs> is that a personal uh, question? <laughs> I,
1: haven't, I haven't auditioned in a long time. If they don't okay. know by now what I can do, then fuck them. Exactly. Uh, sure. Yeah. If you know, if you don't, know, after forty-five years of acting, if you don't trust me, then you were not. We wouldn't work well together.
0: Right. You're not like uh, here is my resume in case you don't know.
1: This um, no. This came about because um, John Logan, very very. Uh, generously and kindly sent me an email and said he wrote this script and this character uh-huh. and he wrote this character for me and hoped I would do it. And uh, I read it and was just thrilled and uh, it would, it, and it came out of the blue. Uh, we I knew John a little bit from New York Theatre and what uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, it certainly... Reading it, it was. I thought, well, this is the most interesting and complex, emotionally complex character I I, I uh, ever been given in film, and television, and uh, and a lot of it. This I think it was inspired, at least according to John, by you know, he he had seen me in a production of The Iceman Cometh. Yes, and and felt and felt that this, you know. So finally, you know, Eugene O'Neill paid off. Um, yeah, so, I
0: could see a connection there. Yeah.
1: So anyway, he uh, wanted me to do this, and I was I was just incredibly grateful and felt very lucky, and uh, so that's how it how it happened.
0: And you're playing a a Jewish man in this. Yeah. You were raised Catholic, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I was. Can well, I well,
0: ask? Are I'm you not, religious well. at all? Or
1: no, no, no. I, I I would <laughs> say I'm pretty much an atheist,
0: okay, okay
1: but I have often played Jewish characters
0: yes, like Roy Cohn
1: like Roy Cohn, like Nathan Detroit. like yes it goes on and on. I have played a lot of Jewish people in my time I'm uh, I'm sort of an unofficial honorary Jew.
0: yes <laughs> uh, is it safe to say that theater? And film and TV, like, that's more your
1: religion. Theater?
0: Yeah, or acting, I guess.
1: Acting is my religion? <laughs> is that what you think? <laughs> um, well, uh, it's something, well, it certainly takes a lot of faith um, to, oh, to yeah. uh-huh. be in the acting profession. I mean, it, it's storytelling. Gotcha. Would, would be more my religion yeah cool i mean you know in turn, i don't you know religion i mean has anything f-ed up this country more than religion <laughs> i really i i, I it's, you'd be hard pressed to find what else uh-huh. you know other than you know racism mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it's it's a toss-up and um uh, so you know it's it's religion I, you know, I, I, I I, I try, you try to believe in, you know, you try to believe in the best aspects of humanity. And when push comes to shove, people will do the right thing, but not always. Look, I think we have to, more than ever, we have to look after each other.
0: Yes, it is about Being
1: kind to one another. Yes. That's that's what's more important than what... You know what quote unquote god you believe in
0: um you mentioned the uh, you mentioned o'neil i wanted to ask you about e- even with this role in penny dreadful like you said in 2010 when that profile came out on you about the adams family where they called you a uh, last of the great entertainers and you yeah. told me that you kind of made it your mission to really challenge yourself but also to challenge Audiences, right? And I'm wondering how have you chosen roles going forward since then? And is Penny dreadful? Does that count as as like yes? You liked the material, but were you also thinking, oh, this can really push me and push my type or my my
1: ability? Well, I I just think it's it's sort of this is as as certain other roles like Roy Cohn. Uh, they, um, it comes as a direct result of, of this experiment, this journey I went on 10 years ago. Experiment. Uh, Cool. You know, to see if you could change people's perception of you. Now there are still (laughs) people who, you know, uh, there, you know, I do these, I'm doing these interviews every day and there are still people who treat me like I was some Ringling Brothers clown who got out of a tiny Car and mm. went into acting last week. You know that uh, that's all I've done, and so it, you know it's frustrating. Um, yeah. So you know, but I think I have been able to do that, and this would certainly be a prime example of of, of that. Of mm. that, someone saw my work in the theater in a, in a one of the great serious roles of Hickey in the Ice right. Man Cometh, and thought that's who I want to play this, this rather complicated detective. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, there's stuff in this that I, uh, you never, uh, no one in Hollywood would ever have given me this part. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it, cool. it's, uh, you know, I, I had a stunt double. I was, you know, beating right. people up and shooting there's guns. Totally. And it's, it was a, the thrill of my life. It was a, a <laughs> you know, just such a great adventure. And, um, uh, you know, the, look, it's also, you know, and then there's a certain amount of homophobia that goes on. You know, sure. people know you're openly gay and uh, well, how could he ever play a, you know, a, uh, a detective? That's yeah. still a thing in Hollywood. Sure. Oh, sure it is. Sure it is. I'm sure, you know, it's behind closed doors, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Sure, I'm sure that goes on. So there was, you know, people will, you know, I, I would say if he... Not that anyone should be, but if anyone was following my career, it wouldn't be so, as shocking as it will be to some people to watch me no. the show and say, "I've I've never seen him do anything like that
0: But maybe for TV audiences,
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely! For people who only yeah. only know me as Pepper Saltzman from exactly. *Family*, this <laughs> will be a revelation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is maybe the the is that your advice for actors too, like. Is that true for actors at any stage in their career? Like, if they want to think about challenging themselves, I mean, like you're, like you're saying, the, the O'Neill play was not seen by many people, but it was seen by the right kind of people to then offer you more of the types of opportunities that you want. So is yeah. the advice, like, chase the work, follow the, follow the
1: passion, maybe? Yeah, always. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was lucky enough uh, uh, to have reached a point in my career where I could suggest gotcha. to Bob Falls, uh, let's do the Iceman Come," Yeah. And I'll play Hickey and Brian Dennehy can play Larry Slade and yeah. uh, whatever it might be. That, you know, that I'm very fortunate that way that I was, I had a, a little bit of clout to say, to initiate that kind of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, so not everybody can, you know, right. you, you, you know, actors are so dependent on being cast. And so I was at least at a point where I could do something like that. So I was very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and then it, it's, it's, it's hard because at first you're going to be met with resistance, right? You know, when we opened in Chicago with the Iceman Comet, you know, there were critics who, you know, referred to me. was like, oh, this is like watching Regis Philbin. Um, oh, boy. I, can't, I can't accept this. Or I can't. I, people right. people are get, and they get nasty about it. Why won't you stay in the box that I've put you in? Mm, you it, know. Yeah.
0: It's a little me, personal.
1: It, yeah. Well, it, it's all personal. It's all personal. <laughs> yes. It's all personal, pal. Yeah,
0: totally. It's you
1: acting. know, I, yeah. I got nothing else but me. This is the equipment. Yep. Yep, and, and so and and people, you know, uh, you know, and it's always somebody you know, they've never seen Iceman cometh. They have no uh-huh. idea of what the part is or is supposed to be, or it's only basically half the time it's what they've heard. I would venture to say probably a lot of them didn't even read the play. So right. um, you know, so people will resist it and try to force you back into the the role they think you should be playing Mm -hmm. and don't ever, ever try to change that Mm. because I don't want to deal with that because I think you can only do one thing. And it it, honestly, it doesn't matter what they say. Honestly, it doesn't. Mm. It's, It's about you and the work and the material and what you will gain from taking on, a role like that mm. is is um, is incredible and 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 valuable and will only add to the next time you take on that kind right. of challenge you try to climb that kind of mountain mm. and unless you try to climb these mountains you are you're not going to grow. I mean no, that's no, how you' yeah. grow. It doesn't happen magically. You don't wake up suddenly and say, "I'm a great serious actor." You learn how to do this shit by doing the shit, by going out night after night and trying to do the last act of Iceman Man Cometh. That's what separates the men from the boys. And if you don't, if you you know, not everybody should do this. By the way, I'm sure. tortu- I'm tortured in that I I felt I had to, <laughs> that I would not. Be kept down by people's small-minded views of what I was. You're a clown, or you're you're you know you play, only play gay characters, oh, and that's man. what they will try to do to you. And you can yeah. just give in to that and go, okay, that's what I'll do, uh, or you can uh, try to change things. So it, yeah, it's um. It, Look, it's it's much easier to just do if to just entertain people. Absolutely, yeah, to stay um, in the box. So um, the fact that it, that it's led finally to say, for example, this character is t- to me, it's the that's the story. That's the that has mm-hmm. been the journey. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's to me, it's it's incredibly moving that that it happened. Yeah. You know, it just makes me weep that, you know, John Logan, you know, <clears throat> he's, he's he's not doing this out of kindness. I mean, he, it is an act of kindness to say, I wrote this and I want you to do it. But it's, uh-huh. he believes in you. You're the best for the part. He yeah. believes in your talent. Right. And the fact that that um, could happen at this, at my advanced age, is it's mm. pretty extraordinary and sure and moving and no, so I'm uh, you advice. know i'm very very uh, i have a lot of gratitude and i feel very fortunate and lucky and but i also did take the initiative to see yes. if i could do that
0: yeah no that's great advice and i think that does apply to anyone at any stage of their career because like you're saying, audiences and critics, we do tend to just put people in boxes, especially entertainers. Oh, that's that person that I remember from such and such. And that tends to be like what we
1: think of them. Well, look at so... as an example, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Zach Galifianakis, he was uh-huh. you know, brilliantly, brilliantly funny. Uh, uh, and, and I saw him do, the, the he did this little indie, indie film, and i can't remember the name of it now it, it, that where he was he was in a um a mental hospital and mm. and there was a young man who went there and he was there and, and um he was totally uh, believable and wonderful in this role and mm-hmm. which had emotional stuff serious stuff i mean he was very uh, he was as always very funny as well mm. times but it was a a very different kind of role and it it didn't surprise me at all i think he's brilliant i think he's a brilliant talent you know um and he was given the opportunity and right he was great it doesn't you know just because someone is brilliantly funny doesn't mean they can't also be a really good actor
0: sure if anything the great comedians are are particularly adept at Doing hard, intense,
1: complicated drama, I would think. Absolutely. You know, Jason Robards was a very wonderful comic <laughs> actor as well, as being mm-hmm. a great O'Neill tragedian. You know, he was yeah. he was equally uh, adept at comedy. Uh, wonderfully funny. George C. Scott, it was the same thing. I worked when I worked with him in, in Present Laughter in nineteen eighty two. He was hilarious in the no coward role Mm -hmm. um so that's one doesn't negate the other and there are people who can do both and if you as an actor can limit them right you know by our no i only he's only done comedy why is he doing this right (laughs) why is he upsetting me by doing upsetting me
0: yeah why it does take initiative right
1: yeah, you kind of have to want to go after. You have to want
0: it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, and you and you're gonna to have to weather that kind of response sometimes from people. Yeah. Who, are not, yeah. who are not going to give it up for you. Who are not going to let you get away with it. And yeah. believe me, you don't get any points for ambition and taking on the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it doesn't. They don't give a crap. But it's they don't about crap. What you're trying to do with no. your life? They have their own problems. Yeah. So
0: they're just so, for the story.
1: So the miracle of this story is that over ten years, I've gotten to this point and have played <laughs> this part in this series.
0: That's that, really exciting.
1: That is. That's the. That's the. There. There's your story, boys.
0: Like, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the advice too. Like do not let others put you in a box and dictate what they think of you. And yeah. don't try to change that for the sake of changing it. Change change those perceptions if you feel if you really feel that you have more or different stuff to prove, to show. Even if you
1: fail. Even and if you fail. Even if you fail. Definitely. That's, you know what? Failure is probably the larger part <laughs> of, of show business. <laughs> Every once in a while, if you're lucky, you know, it's, you're in something that it it all works and everything is, everybody's, but there, you know, it doesn't matter if you fail. It's what you learn from it by taking on great, great material. Yes. You know, whether it's O'Neill or Shakespeare or Chekhov. These are the, these are the great writers. These are the people, you know, Terrence McNally. Terrence McNally. I owe him everything. He just gave me, uh, he was a believer in me and um, felt I had more to offer from the very beginning. And, you know, uh, I'd have no career without Mm. Terrence. And he he certainly, um, I had been in New York for 11 years and and I had been on Broadway and done off-Broadway. But, you know, I did the Lisbon Traviata uh, off-Broadway with him at Manhattan Theater Club and it changed everything. It just, and people suddenly saw me in a different light because of that and yeah I was lucky enough that he turned to me and said uh, you know I want to write things with you and uh, for you and you know he there were certain actors that he wanted to write for and because yeah. he loved knowing uh, who he was writing for specifically and it helped him to write it
0: really is lovely to hear about to hear about terence and i'm so Sorry for your loss and for our loss. and
1: no, he was a giant and uh, a, giant. a groundbreaker and uh,
0: And I think really relevant to what you're talking about in terms of seeing in others or seeing an actors or seeing an artist's sub- maybe something that's not immediately apparent and, and, uh, and someone
1: about living their life and being who they were and not being afraid and yeah and you know. From, from the get-go on Broadway, you know, he wrote a play called And Things That Go Bump in the Night, which, uh, again, was reviled by the critics. Oh, wow. It was a, a, <laughs> first, a first play on Broadway, and but had the, the you know, the first time that they, they were gay characters who weren't mm-hmm. suicidal or psychotic. Right. They were just living their lives and... Uh, I think there was a gay kiss. It was, you know, uh, in nineteen sixty, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. It was unbelievable, and the fact that he, you know, he received those kinds of nasty reviews, and just and just kept going. You know, that the kinds of reviews that might (laughs) have stopped
0: absolutely uh,
1: uh, a a less uh, strong person, but he. you know, he just kept doing it and writing and writing and and challenging us and mm. himself. And you know, it's an incredible legacy.
0: Yeah, that is the goal. Just challenge, challenge yourself and
1: audiences too. Yeah, whether if they want do that, then <laughs> whether they want it or not, they probably yeah. don't. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you have to tell them what they want.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, what well, they that's... need. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you for all of this, Nathan. This is really, really great, as I knew it would be. Um, do you have time? Can I ask you some quick, rapid fire, very backstagey questions? Sure. We, we ask everyone going back in time, right. where did you get your equity card and where did you get your SAG after card?
1: Yeah, I got my equity card. I was doing I was working for the little, this little uh, uh, theater from in the, in the, based in New Jersey uh, that I had done a lot of shows for, called the Halfpenny Playhouse. And they did a tour of a musical called "One for Good Measure." Which was all about the metric system because there were oh. at, at that at one point we were made America was maybe going to go metric, uh, and they put together a musical review oh, about it. That's and funny. I I was in this musical review called One for Good Measure, and that and it was Equity. It was an Equity tour, and that's uh-huh. how I got my Equity card. <laughs> and I was that you know I was sort of this. That's the famous story of I was my name was Joe Lane, and there was already a Joseph Lane in Actors yeah. And I—that's how I became Nathan.
0: Here you are on Zoom as Joe Lane. It's—it's it's cool to see.
1: Oh yeah, they look at yeah. I, <laughs> somebody put Joe. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, it is my real name, but yeah, yeah. I don't it's really very think cool. myself as Joe anymore.
0: No, the fact that you—I mean, for any listener who doesn't know—the fact that you named yourself after Nathan Detroit and then played him
1: on Broadway is extraordinary. I, uh, well, you know, it's I. <laughs> Again, it's like a lot of luck and dreams coming through, a lot of dreams. And
0: manifesting, yeah, cool. Well, and what about equity? How did, I mean, sorry, SAG, how did you get your SAG card?
1: I, you know what, I have no idea. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I I think it had to do with if you were, you know, if you were in equity long enough, you could get it then. I forget. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I had done... I, I really I started doing commercials, so it must have might have been through commer- doing commercials. I mean that's how I sort of survived in right. my career in New York, was doing commercial work and mm-hmm. I did a lot of them. So it maybe it might have been but that was then that would have been after, right? So I don't mm-hmm. I honestly honestly I don't <laughs> know uh how the how the hell I got it. But I <laughs>
0: Um, okay, what about this is a tough one. What about what what is one performance that every actor should see and why? Film, TV, I guess it could be theater as well.
1: Oh, okay. Um that everyone should see and why. Or just a
0: favorite performance no, of yours.
1: My uh uh, uh my Nichols always used to say that A Place in the Sun by George Stevens, starring Montgomery Clift and Liz Taylor and, and Shelley Winters.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that that was the film that if anything you need to know about filmmaking is in that particular movie. Wonderful. It's the most that he, it's it's like the, a perfect film.
0: Wow.
1: The other night I watched a documentary about the making of, of galaxy quest, which is a a, a favorite, uh, comedy of, of mine. Mm Um, a, uh, it's such a great premise um and uh, they quoted in the documentary that david mamet in a book he had written had said there were four perfect films which were uh the godfather mm-hmm. a place in the sun *Dodsworth*, and galaxy quest oh my gosh <laughs> um David I, Mamet. I kind of know what he means. It's yeah. galaxy quest is kind of a perfect movie. So, <laughs> and I always loved the, hearing the backstory of how it all came to be. And, and, yeah. and it, it's a really interesting. So my favorite is, uh, from the Ilya Kazan film, a tree grows in Brooklyn
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's an actor in it by the name of James Dunn, who, uh, you would have seen in early uh, uh, in early films, in black and white films, uh, who was, you know, he was in a movie with Shirley Temple. He was, he was an actor who had been around a long time, a very mm-hmm. affable Irish, pure Irish face. And a- at the point that Kazan made the film, James Dunn's career was, he was, it was kind of, he had been washed up. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But the character in the film was an alcoholic as well. And he knew that Dunn would bring something to it oh. that would be incredibly authentic and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's the one of the most heartbreaking performances I've ever seen. It's, it's a father and his relationship with his daughter. Uh, in, in this case, it was a very young actress named Peggy Ann Garner. And their relationship in the film, it, it just kills you. Mm. And uh, there there are moments in it, you just, the, the, the immense sadness in his eyes. And he wound up winning the Academy Award for it. Oh, wow. And it was, it reminded me, I think on a personal level, it had reminded me of my own father, who was an alcoholic, who
0: oh.
1: died when I was around 11. Yeah. There was something about, him, it reminded me uh, not so much physically, but he reminded me of uh, mm. aspects of my own father. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I was close with my father at all, but it, maybe, or maybe it was it was kind of the kind of alcoholic father I would have liked to have had. Oh, <laughs> because he was so caring and <laughs> devoted oh. to her. But it's a it is one of the great performances. Wow. Uh, um, so uh that's a good one yeah
0: these are xi ex- i'm gonna have to look all these up because <laughs> sounds great and, and thank you for um for essentially having mike nichols answer that question too that's wonderful
1: <laughs> yes oh yeah that's an that's an uh, oh my god what a movie that is yeah
0: yeah and now that we're all inside we have time to, to catch up on these old
1: films so. now is the, time. Now is the and, time but most of all you want to see Penny Dreadful City of <laughs> Sunday, April 26th at 10 p.m. Uh, it will be a life-changing Very experience. Good.
0: Very good. <laughs> um, uh, okay, last question. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Last question. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Or would you not change a thing?
1: Oh, Jesus. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, Yeah, uh, I would, uh, um, oh, God, so many, (laughs) so many things (laughs) I would have said not to worry about, you know, what to worry about, what not to worry about. Um, Sure. You know, I was so obsessed with my career, (laughs) but I had to be. Uh Uh, I, I don't know how else you, I don't know how else you become successful. I was obsessed with my career at the expense of personal relationships and, and mm. at the expense of everything. So um, I, I may be, you know, going back and saying to myself, try look at the bigger picture. Mm. <laughs> and sure. it took me a long time to see that. Mm. And, you're, you're, you know, it's not everything. It's not everything. Yeah. There are yeah. more important things. Although it's really, in a sense, it was all I had. Mm. I, I, you know, I didn't have any money. I had nothing. I had no connections. You know, I moved to New York and just started auditioning and mm-hmm. hoping the best. And um, so it was. You know, I certainly was ambitious and I had drive and, and and I had some sort of, you know, strange belief in myself that it would all work out. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know why but i did <laughs> um and uh but you know i just was yeah nothing was going to get in the way of right of a career and because you are
0: investing in it in order to yeah become successful
1: yeah and yeah. so um and now uh, you know it's like uh, you know it's obviously it's still important <laughs> and uh uh and and you know and it's uh, I love doing it. I love acting so much. Um, So, uh, um, but, you know, there are, now I I see, I think I see the the bigger picture Mm. in a way that I couldn't back then.
0: The bigger picture, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful advice. Nathan, thank you. (laughs) This has been so great. Thank you. I'm feeling a little better about the state of our...
1: Are you? You know this
0: quarantine era. I am.
1: Wow. Okay. Good. I (laughs) I have I have good days and bad days. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. I think we we have to try to be. Yes. uh, Positive. Yeah. Yeah. We will come out of this.
0: We will. Yeah.
1: The better for it.
0: Well, yeah, and thank you for all of this lovely craft, but also career and also just life, life wisdom.
1: It's been great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> all right. Well, you're, you're welcome. And Thank you, David. Yeah, right. nice to talk, talk to, you. to you. In the envelope, an awards podcast is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City, and Soundbox LA, Mark Rose Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks, as always, to podcast producer extraordinaire Jamie Muffett and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit
0: Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code
1: ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in, we'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.